Welcome to Small Business Insights, where back office conversations give us insight to what's really going on. Is it grit or luck that gives a small business owner an advantage? Let's find out. I'm your host, Laura Fisher. What'd you think of that? That's fantastic. (laughs) It's fun. Doesn't sound like me, does it? No, it doesn't. (laughs) All right. So welcome today. I have Eric Blossom with me today. And I invited him because I think his story is pretty fascinating. And I think you might agree as well. So Eric, tell me who you are and um, how we met. Yeah. Well, my name is Eric Blossom. And Laura and I are both in the Chamber of Commerce Leadership Group, class of 2022, the greatest class ever. (laughs) In the Fort Bend Chamber of Commerce. Yeah. Last week we... uh, or actually, it was just two days ago, we went to all the, from pre-K to college, we went to all the different education. That was pretty fascinating. It is. It's it was a, a better day program. than I expected. Yeah, it is. It's great. Yeah. We got to meet three different superintendents, which is pretty amazing, considering the uh, landscape of the yeah. city. You know, that's yeah, a lot. Great. So, um, Eric, I wanted to ask you about your business in Russia. I wanted, I want to know how you got there. And then how you came back and how you rebuilt everything. So let's just dive in. All right. So um, what made you even think of having a business in a foreign country? Tell us how, well, tell us a little bit about yourself because that maybe explain how you ended up there. So tell me what, how'd you get there? Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a long and winding story, but it was out of necessity really. So I had gone over there originally as an expat working for uh, an oil and gas manufacturing company. And uh, we started the office up in, in Moscow. Well, after about a year, year and a half, we were, we were rocking and rolling, and, and my time as an expat was up. So they moved us back to, to Houston, and, and we weren't really ready for that. So when you're an expat, tell us what that means. Mm-hmm. So you're effectively, you're living overseas, and you're sponsored by your employer. So okay. Things like schooling, uh, you get a, a housing allowance. You're, you're you're there as a temporary employee, and the company picks up picks up the bill, which is fantastic. And they're usually really big companies. They are typically larger companies, uh, and uh, the price tag of putting expats overseas and sponsoring them is it's it's expensive. Yeah. So you're over there. Would you have family? Are you old enough? Have you are you out yeah, of college? Yeah. So What's we had on? we had two little kids, a three year old and a five year old at the time. Oh wow, that's yeah. young. It was fantastic. And so, yeah, they were both in elementary school or pre-K. And after, like I said, after about a year and a half, they wanted to move us back to Houston. And and we weren't ready to, to kind of give up our international life. You know, we, mm-hmm. were, we were really enjoying it over there. So we came back to Houston and immediately started searching for ways that would allow us to, to stay and remain overseas. So you moved back, but you wanted to move you moved back to Houston, but you wanted to move back to Russia. Exactly, yeah. So we started exploring with customers that we had in Russia, uh, you know, different ones and it wants and needs and, and, you know, how we could leverage those relationships to start something up. You wanted to do it on your own or with other people? Wanted to do it on our own. Uh, we had explored some ways of doing it with other people, but at the end of the day, you know, you bring in partners and you've got other wants and needs that you've got to support. Uh, I think for the most part, it's a lot easier to do it on your own. I think our listeners will agree because <laughs> we're all small business owners trying to make it happen. And it's just, you got this streamline that you're trying to accomplish and it's hard to share those thoughts sometimes. Yeah. It's, it's everybody else's wants and needs. And anytime yeah. you bring a partner in, then there's, you've got other people and what they need it. So 
if you can manage it, it's always better to do it on your own. So what field are you in when uh, you were doing that? I mean, I know you've changed around. It was geophysics. What so, is geophysics? I really don't know. It sounds like it's oil and gas related. That's all it I is, know. It is oil and gas related. So if you can think of like an MRI, right, okay. where they take a full 3D picture of your body, geophysics is taking a full 3D picture of a portion of the earth. And then geologists will look at that and they'll slice it and dice it and they'll try to find out where they should go and drill. Okay. So geophysics is is completely a new field where they're going in and trying trying to understand where to drill or how to best produce a field, an existing field. How'd they do that before geophysics? Wildcatting, just start punching holes in the ground. Is that it? Yeah. <laughs> it's like that's completely different. Yeah. So well, you know, in, in a lot of places there's there's naturally seeps. Uh, that are coming up. So if, if the oil like and gas. Like in Beverly Hillbillies show? Beverly Hillbillies, <laughs> right. You just shoot at the hill and, you know, it comes sprouting out. I remember watching that as a kid and I'm here in Texas <laughs> like, I've never seen that before. Oh, man, yeah. Yeah. You were in the service. I was in the so, Navy. Oh, and how long were you in the Navy? Uh, just over two years. And is that why you were over there as anyway, as an expat? No. No. So I was nuclear Navy which uh, obviously because I was on the nuclear side of things, there was a lot of confidential information and everything else. So when I first moved to Moscow, it was, or actually when I first started traveling to Moscow, it was uh, a little wild because of, you know, all that information was still fresh in my mind and confidentiality, et cetera, et cetera. It was was a bit, it made me a bit nervous. So you're married, you're in this, you have a college degree, Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. I, I'm kind of just going all over the place. But when you were in the service, were you an officer? No, I was enlisted. So did you get your degree while you were in college? After, I mean, in the af- after I got out. Wow. Okay. You're you're an ambitious man, <laughs> and that's hard to do because I'm sure you had kids. Right? I did. Yeah. You're married. Yeah, that's right. And I think you told me you had a master's degree. I have a master's degree. And you're working full time. Yes. Over there and over here, trying yeah. to figure it out. So when did you get finally get your master's degree? Uh, right before we moved, right before we moved to Moscow. So so when is all this happening? What year? How old are you now? So we moved uh, when I was about 30. Um, we moved in 2004 to Moscow. Okay. And so when you say you moved there, was that after when you finally figured out what you're going to do there and live there permanently for a while? Yeah. So, I mean, initially we moved as expats, but the second okay. time around, uh, the company was formed in 2006. Yeah. So that's, that's when we were moved there permanently and living there on your own was a, a heck of a lot different than living under on an expat package how'd you navigate that it's you know you just uh it's expensive it was at that point in time an incredibly expensive place to live but um you, you live on the cheap so it's in moscow the city mm-hmm. yes uh, city of moscow that's correct so is it a large city like houston uh, much larger than houston it's uh, 15 to 19 million people depending on you know how you count it how do they get around uh, they have the busiest metro system in the world, so subways. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you had to learn Russian. a foreign language. Yes, yes. <laughs> You're going to do all that. Yeah. Um, you know, public transportation. So when did you, did you naturally pick it up? No. No. <laughs> no. No, no, no. Um, you know, conversationally, but yeah, it, t- it took a long time. Um, my wife and my daughter speak fluently. Can they read it too? Oh yeah, the reading is well for me. Reading it was quite easy because I have kind of an analytical brain, and uh, conversationally for me was much more difficult. 
with my wife, my daughter, it was the other way around. Conversationally, it was much more easy, e- easier to read. So if you put me and my wife together, it was perfect. I could read and she could understand. It was great. So was your wife involved in your business or she home? She was. Hey, oh, yeah, she was. she was. Yeah, equal partners. Yeah, it was great. What is, what's her background? Well, when she was here in Houston, she was in insurance. She was a provider relations with Aetna. And uh, when we were over there, she was taking care of, she was actually the general director. So she was the executive of the company. And she was managing the entire operation side of the business. I would take care of the sales and marketing, and she would do operations. Okay, so specifically, what is the company that you did set up on your own in Russia? Yeah, so it's a company called Export Group. And we were selling and servicing uh, geophysical equipment for many manufacturers. Why did you have to be over there to do it? Why didn't you do it from here? Well, I guess we wanted to live there, and that was an end to the means. So we having that company allowed us to remain in country and, and remain in Europe. Who are your customers? Oh, we had lots of state companies. We had independent, uh, some of like Schlumberger, Baker Hughes, their subsidiaries over there. But then also, you know, Luke Oil, Rosneft, all the ones, Gazprom that you hear in the news as well, and their their subsidiaries. So your, your company was providing the MRIs for the ground? Is that what you're doing? Yeah, all the equipment. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Big Is that thum- large? Big thumper trucks. And it must be big. Yeah. So it, it's, it's a very interesting technology. The technologies that go into that field are very interesting because they're all from hydraulic earth movers machines to uh, MEMS devices. Uh, it's just lots, lots of various technologies are used in that field. Where do you get your equipment? Like I said, from various manufacturers. So some of it was coming from here, Chickaland and Stafford. Uh, some of it was manufactured in China. Some of it was manufactured in Germany, Canada, all over the place. Did you assemble them or because it was proprietary um, products or were you just... Yeah, you know, so just, we were, were they using... buying your services as well? Yeah, so we were mixing and matching various technologies and, and depending on what the requirements were from the client, you know, we were putting together packages that would allow them to do what they needed to do. Were they paying you in dollars? Uh, no. Usually in, in local currency. So how, do, how does your brain, does it, do you just get used to it, you know, the conversion? You do, you do, and uh, you make sure that, uh, that you're covered contractually just in case there's any huge wild swings. You know, that was a, after one or two painful uh, exercises in making mistakes around currency conversions, you, you learn those mistakes pretty quickly, but they can be painful and expensive. So where you lived... Putin is the leader. Absolutely. Right? So does his form of leadership in government, did it impact your business and how? You know, in a lot of ways, it was very helpful. I mean, with Russia's dependence on natural resources, they have mandates on how much they need to explore. So, for instance, um, you know, a lot of what happens in West Texas or other parts of the world as far as oil exploration goes, it's it's very much dependent on what the current price of oil is. It dictates what the budgets are. The the budgets, of course, mandate how much exploration is going to happen. If you go to a place like Venezuela or Russia where the entire economy is propped up by oil and gas, they don't have the luxury of turning that stuff on and off. It's got to be pumped or else the tax base is just not there. So because of that, you know, I don't want to say that we had kind of a welfare advantage, but the state was mandating how much had to be pumped. And because of that, that's going to prop up the exploration to a certain extent. And you're a dependable service provider. Sure. Yep. 
What's it like living over there? Because, I mean, what we get from America is what we see on TV. And right now we've got the Ukraine in- invasion. So we, you know, we only see a little sliver of it. What's it like? Yeah. So Moscow is a very cosmopolitan. I mean, just uh, it's very similar uh, from a lifestyle standpoint to New York or London or, or Beijing. I mean, they're busy, 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 uh, up all night, you know, very cosmopolitan. Were they creative people? Uh, Were they kind? The Russians are, are as a, as a people, I would say are, are reserved. They're okay. very conservative. Uh, they, um, you know, it takes a little while to get through their veneer, but once you do, uh, they're fantastic friends and they're loving people and they, they care about their, their culture. Uh, living in Moscow is uh, from a, other, other parts of culture. You know, there's fantastic museums. There, there's the Bolshoi Theater. There's mm. ballet, art, you know, all of those great things, live music. Your you children know. got to participate in all that? Oh, absolutely. It was it, that part of it was just, yeah. it's just great. That's good. Now, politically, it's a completely different, different thing. You know, obviously, Putin is an autocratic uh, leader. Um, there hasn't been a fair election probably ever, right? <laughs> <laughs> if, we, if we speak realistically, uh, you know, it's, it's always slanted to some degree. Russia is a very corrupt uh, country to live in. Uh, so all of those things and that you hear in the news from that standpoint are, are absolutely spot on. Do the people just go lock and step with him? What's their opinions? I mean, what are they like talking behind the scenes, but do they get in trouble? I mean, what happens? No, absolutely. So, and, and that's kind of a, a divide among the ages as well. I mean, the younger generation that can speak English and has uh, an understanding of how to navigate the digital world and can get out and find information on the web, other news sources, you know, they understand both sides of the situation. The older people that only speak Russian and might only watch uh, television, of course, that's state-run news, and that's very controlled, and, you know. And they had no reason to question it. No, no, and really no ability to question it either. The the police is, is, are pretty heavy-handed for anybody coming out to protest or anything else. So um, you can protest, but you have to understand that that's it's a risky proposition. So are they on their phones? Is for sure. Like, th- like we are here? Sure. Apple phones? Apple, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Any other technology that's so prevalent over there that's the same over it's here? It's the same. Yeah. Uh, I would say same it's people. probably a little bit more slanted towards Google and Android than, than iPhone. I think probably in the U.S. it might be the other way around. But We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to ask you if you have any advice for someone who's thinking about setting up a company in a foreign country. All right. All right, so great. hang on. Hey, do you think Laura and her guests sound great today? This show was recorded at the Imperial Podcast Studio in Sugarland, Texas, a professional podcast studio with affordable rates. So are you ready to start your podcast? Check it out now at imperialpodcaststudio.com. Imperial Podcast Studio. Book it and sound like a pro. All right, Eric, we're back. So tell us, we've got a lot of small business owners that listen to this and entrepreneurs, and maybe for the first time they hadn't thought about opening something up in a foreign country. There's opportunities. I know if I go to you know, a foreign country and I travel, I go, hey, they don't have storage buildings here. They don't have U-Haul. There's, there's things that are common here that aren't there that you think will solve a problem. What would you say to anybody generally who's thinking about 
setting up a business in a foreign country, what kind of advice would you give them? Well, you know, obviously a lot of the things are very similar, but also different. The whole regulatory is different. So how do you set up a business? What are the legal practices? How contractually are business practices different from what you might be used to in the U.S.? How is the tax code different? So do you find a lawyer? Is that like the first thing you do? Yeah, so there's different consulting services. So if you go to uh, almost the same as PwC or Deloitte & Touche, there's also other firms that are much less expensive that will give you some of those uh, setups. And usually it would be similar to a lawyer, but some of these business uh, practices will also have accounting services and other things that can also set up the business for you. They can do some outsource accounting for you. And they'll give you kind of a basic understanding of some of the regulatory things that you might have to look out for before you before you take that step. Probably the most important thing before you start any business is just understanding that you're going to have some kind of a godfather or some some person that's going to help you. Who's who's you going to who's going to be your customer number one? That's mm-hmm. going to kind of get your business rolling. You know, starting any business without any customer can be a difficult way to get started. It can it can. You know, you're, when's your first dollar coming in? And, and with and your business, you have all this cost up front. You have absolutely. to have equipment to do your job, and you have to do that without a customer. Absolutely. So having a couple of customers lined up that you know are going to go with you out of the gates is, is very helpful. Did you have a mentor, somebody that helped you navigate? A couple of different guys, but yeah, for sure I did. Where did you go to, and when did you, when did you get stuck? You know, these are guys that I've worked with my entire career, and uh, they they all have international experience because they came from the oil and gas sector. But, uh, yeah, I, I still have the same mentor today that I had uh, when I was 24 years old. It's it's still the same guy. So You call him up. What do you do? What do you say? Hey, call him up, yeah. What's his name? Don, Don Stewart, yeah. Don Stewart. Call him up, take him to lunch. Does he live here? In- he does, yeah. Oh, he lives nice. out in Friendswood. I've lived in Friendswood before. Yeah. Yeah. That's a nice area. It is. It's south of Houston towards Galveston. Just letting our listeners know. After you get there, you kind of set up, you have, I can't even imagine the legal documents. I mean, America, it's not, it's not too bad. You can just do a few forms and you look like you're in business, have an address. Yours is a company that had to have some kind of equipment in order to do it. It's not a service company. It's not like I can just put a sign on the door. So what, what happened then? How long... How long did you have this business here, and how did it grow? Yeah, so we had that business. That business was running actively from 2006 until 2020. So 14 years. 14 years. And how did it grow? Did it become, like, amazingly popular? Or, it know? did, yeah. We we really took it off. The So the probably for the first, I would say, seven years, it was tough slugging, Um it was more of just me and my wife and a couple of other people. And uh, we just kept at it and, you know, kept sharpening the pencil, kept sharpening the pencil, added a couple more manufacturers, and it, it just took off. Well, what does that look like? Okay, so you're over there, you're, what, in your house, your apartment, and you're starting and you're pushing the pencil. I mean, what are you, what's going on? Yeah, we were just, uh, for the first Five years, we had a an apartment, a reasonably priced apartment, and then things started taking off, and we got into a bigger place just uh, just down the street from the Kremlin. So kind of a oh my goodness, yeah, penthouse place, and that was that was fantastic. <laughs> and then we stayed in that at that apartment for a couple of years and, and bought a place. Bought so a house. you had your business in your residence, 
Or did you, I mean, you had initially, to have storage yeah. for all your equipment. Yeah, initially right? we were just kind of around the kitchen table. Mm-hmm. And then and most everything was outsourced from a space and warehousing standpoint at that and point. And so your marketing, how did you get that done? Was it just word of mouth and referrals? Yeah, just word of mouth and referrals. Thankfully in oil and gas, there's there's 400 customers worldwide. So you, you know it, them huh? all. Yeah, you know them all. You know who the key <laughs> contacts are. So. And that way, you know, from a meeting and getting the name out, uh, meeting different people, that's pretty straightforward. Yeah. So then it, after that, it's just from a marketing standpoint, it's just and positioning. You already, you already had a relationship in that market. That's correct. So it's not like just going in and starting a brand new that's industry. Correct. That's right. No, that you didn't know anybody. So you went in there feeling comfortable, but cautious. That's right. Yeah. Okay. I get that. We're running a little long, so I'm thinking I may do this for in two episodes because um, I want, there's something else with Eric that uh, we haven't shared. He was over there, and you got stuck over here in the United States. So I want you to tell us a little bit about that, and then next episode I think we will do, you'll tell me how you rebuilt yourself in the United States. So tell us. What happened and why did you come back to the United States? Yeah, well, March 5th of 2020, we uh, took our kids to Cabo San Lucas. Both of our kids had grown up in Russia, of course, and uh, once they, they graduated from high school, they, they came back to Texas to go to university. So I have a daughter at Baylor and a son at University of Houston. So your little two- and three-year-olds are now That's in right. college. That's okay. right. So we came back to go on a... Spring break in Cabo San Lucas. So you were living in Russia and your kids were here in college. That's right. You were having a family vacation. That's right. All right. Three days into our Cabo San Lucas trip, the Russian border closed from COVID. And I'm sure you thought that was just temporary. We did, yeah. So we couldn't get back into Russia. We knew that. Uh, we had U.S. passports. The U.S. border was still open at that point in time. So we uh, decided to come back to Houston and kind of weather out the the storm in, in downtown Houston in a hotel room. You and have family here, though. We, we do, yeah. yeah. My mom is, is, is here in Sugar Land. And uh, so we uh, that lasted for about a couple of weeks. And we were like, okay, well, this is getting quite expensive now. So yeah. we got a Airbnb and moved into that. And after a couple more weeks, we decided, well, wow, yeah, this is, this is really expensive, too. So <laughs> let's go ahead and buy a house. And uh, this still understanding that we were probably going to be going back within six months or, right. or, or so. So you're probably thinking, I'll make this at a rental property or something. Something like that, or yeah. this will be our little vacation home on the on the, on this side of the planet. Right. And, uh, so we ended up buying a house here and, and moving in, which was fantastic because we got to spread our wings a little bit and yeah. and spend COVID and with a pool in the backyard and a barbecue and all but those kinds no of things. But you had no furniture. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Well, that's not absolutely true. So when we had uh, moved over to Russia... Uh, at this point in time, almost almost 20 years prior, we had put a bunch of stuff in storage. So 20 we, years ago? Yes. I wish I paying, could have been your customer exactly, uh, provider. We, we've been paying storage <laughs> about eight nine $900 you know, a quarter, yeah, since you, that whole time. You know you could have rebought that. I do, <laughs> I do, I do, I do. I bet it was like memory lane, open it up was. your storage. So you're stuck, you come over here, you buy a house, but you've got a business to run. Yeah. Were you able so, to do it remotely? We did it remotely at this point. You know, we had a great staff and, and they were, you know, we would have call-ins every morning. And, of course, Zoom at this point is is in its infancy and yeah. we're all getting on Zoom calls and, you know, yeah, managing, managing remotely. 
How that? How long did that last? For a couple more months, and then you know, uh, some of the uh, manufacturers started to understand that 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 the whole world was changing and everything was changing. So they started to to make other plans and do whatever they had to do. And at that point in time, it became obvious that uh, that the best course of action was going to be to shut that company down. I mean, how many employees did you have at that time? Uh, so we were probably looking about eight to ten. 10 to 12 employees at that point in time. And did you have a lot of assets? Yeah, a lot of assets. So cars, forklifts, inventory, machinery, office equipment, all those things. Were you able to sell them? We did. We found a a buyer for the business. And, well, we found a buyer for all the assets, and we ended up selling all the assets. Boy, that's a blessing. It was, yeah. Even if you just broke even. Yeah, we broke even. (laughs) (laughs) Scraping by. (laughs) Was that emotional? It's it's heartbreaking to, you know, to put that much time into your business and have it rocking and rolling and and to have a situation completely out of your control. I mean, the pandemic went on for a while, but the Russian border stayed closed for longer than other countries. Is that what was going on? Well, I think a lot of people don't understand that the U.S. border was almost closed for two years as well. To Russia? No, Everyone? to anyone. Really? That's correct. So if you didn't have a U.S. passport, you were not coming through the U.S. border. Okay. So the U.S. border was closed to any foreigner. To coming in. To coming in. Okay. Same thing with the Russian border. Well, most borders were closed for an entire So because you didn't have a Russian passport, you couldn't go in. Correct. I was not okay, a Russian it. citizen. I was there on a, just a visa and a work permit. I bet your kids are glad you're back. It really was a blessing at the end of the day to pull that Band-Aid and have it be done abruptly. I mean, we always knew that at some point in time we were coming back. And to have that be a protracted, long, drug-out process would have been very painful, very difficult, and probably would have been very expensive. To, so to have that Band-Aid pull that quickly and to have to shut it all down abruptly, emotionally, that was probably the best way to do it. I'm not sure if it was the best financially, but emotionally, that was the best way. I bet you're glad you had that little short vacation before all of this. Yeah, exactly, Cabo, right? exactly. <laughs> we are going to take a little break. I'm going to give you a summary of where we're headed for next week. So will you come back? Absolutely. Looking forward to it. All right, great. Hey, I want you to come back next week to hear how Eric Blossom started over after he abruptly closed his business in Russia due to the pandemic. He's a native Texan, returns home to Sugarland, and starts a new business. He bought into a franchise and is doing very well and growing fast. Ever wondered how to find a franchise to buy? Well, Eric walks us through how he did it, why he did it, why he chose this route, how much things cost like, you know, these franchises, and what the benefits are that you can expect. And we're going to hear about his success. We also discuss the current invasion in Russia. He has many friends over there that he's concerned about. Can you do me a big favor? Before you uh, leave this podcast today, could you please go down and give me a rating and review? Reviews absolutely help because they help other people find us. So when they're looking for tips, business tips, small business, whatever, the more the reviews we have, the higher ranking we become. And I'd really like you to be a part of the success of this show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on Small Business Insights. Make sure you visit our website at fisherpodcast.com where you can follow the podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform so you'll never miss a show. If you enjoyed and found value in today's episode, we'd appreciate a rating and review on iTunes or simply share it with a friend. That would help us out too. Make sure you tune in next week for our next episode. Until then, you better be up to something.